There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Jenny Rooney. She's the managing director and co-founder of the Black Glass CMO House. If Jenny's name sounds familiar, she was previously at Forbes leading their CMO program as well. And she's been on the show before. She was in episode 158. And I encourage you to go back and listen to her perspectives back then because she's been dropping knowledge related to CMOs and the marketing function for many, many years. And on the show today, we talk about that. What is the CMO house? What is the program? How are they constructing it? What is she focused on? And then we do a bunch of myth busting, if you will, covering topics like metaverse, purpose, ESG, growth, creativity, and the CMO CEO migration, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with my friend, Jenny Rooney. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alan. I should say welcome back to the show because you've been on before. But uh, it's nice to nice to nice to hear your voice again. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. Well, we always like to start off with something a little fun or a little personal. And I hear you moved like every two years of your life between the years of or ages of eight and fifteen. What was that about? Yes, I did do that. My my father had a job, and every time he got uh, advanced into a new position, it took him from one state to another. So. 
I went from New Jersey to Texas to Connecticut to Texas, back to New Jersey, and then out to Ohio for for 10 years. And I think, um, I don't know, I always center on that. When I think about my sort of my, my formative years, my growing up years, it was really marked by new houses, new communities, new schools, new friends, new teachers, and new soccer teams. And um, I never really thought about how much that defined me, but I never saw it as a burden or, or a challenge. I actually always relished the opportunity to meet new people and um, and kind of, kind of quickly develop relationship with, with people um, and also get to know, frankly, new, new cultures, new environments, because uh, back in the eighties, uh, the East, you know, Northeast and Texas were, were, were very different environments. Um, but I, I, uh, I look back fondly on those years. That's awesome. That's awesome. The last time we talked, you were at Forbes and now you're the co-founder of Black Glass CMO House. Tell me about that transition. Yeah. So talk about change, right? And <laughs> new environments, but actually I, you know, I was at, ten, at Forbes for 10 years. So, um, I really had, that was the longest, that was the place where I spent the, the bulk of my career, you know, and my career kicked off in frankly, 1997. And I was a journalist, business journalist, as you know, covering marketing, advertising, and branding since 97 and in the last 15 years had focused exclusively on highest level marketing leadership in any given company, read CMOs. Um, and that became, you know, really my beat, but more than that, you know, it became something that I was really passionate about and enjoyed learning more about and, and certainly enjoyed learning about the people who comprised the CMO community. So coming to Black Glass and working with Katie Klumper to build CMO House has been, I think, really the culmination of all of my experience having covered the industry and frankly, getting to know the community. Now that I'm here, for me, in my career, it represents an opportunity to deliver back a new kind of value to the very same people that I had been writing about, interviewing, doing research about creating programming for. And so now it's super exciting to build something new with frankly, all that knowledge that I'm able to kind of carry into this new environment. So that's awesome. Let's talk about what the CMO house is and what does it like, what does the program itself consist of? Yeah. So CMO house is, um, it's a membership club for CMOs, I guess is sort of the, the fundamental way to think about it. Some folks compare us to like a YPO or there's other groups. I will say, I'll put this out there. I'm very cognizant of the fact that there are multiple environments and clubs and conferences and communities for CMOs that already exist. So I don't think I was coming into this blindly, right? But that doesn't mean that there's not opportunity for something new that frankly can be very complementary to what exists elsewhere. All those other organizations and clubs serve um, tremendous purposes, and I think they're hugely additive to CMOs. I think what CMO House does differently is we exist, and frankly, our mission is to empower, inspire, and support the person behind the title. And what that means is we, and, and I think this comes from my background, right? In, in, and really knowing and understanding, frankly, the the people, the individuals who hold that title and really getting to know them and have relationship with them. It's thinking about supporting them and delivering back resources and access that supports them holistically, right? In terms of, you know, how they balance their their time. How do, how do they think about where they invest their time? Where do they think about showing up 
both inside their organizations and externally? What are the new environments for sharing thought leadership that they need to be thinking about? So yes, it's it's powering them as ex- executives. And, and I think that's the other thing is we think of them first and foremost as business growth drivers within organizations, less so sort of functional owners within organizations and, and most importantly, uh, human beings. But the way that manifests for us when we think about what is a, a membership grant, it's two things. It's advisory and it's community. The advisory piece is something that is really focused on them. It's highly customized. It's highly personalized. It's sort of like a an always-on advisor who's there to help answer questions, help provide access, help deliver back research, help deliver back. Frankly, um, we've created a bespoke methodology whereby we can do a diagnostic per person that shows them through four different data sets, what really their superpowers are, how they're showing up right now in market, but also what opportunities exist for them that they might not be tapping into in terms of expertise, background, passions, aptitudes, you know, unique focuses that define who they are as individuals and, and, and business leaders that they might be able to um, take greater advantage of, frankly, um, in driving both their own personal profile, but more importantly, their business. Because the understanding, of course, is that supported executives necessarily are going to drive more business for their organization. So there's, there's connective tissue there. The other component of CMO House, of course, is community. So when we think about the community that CMO House, it's curated. We use that word intentionally because we think about making sure that we are inviting folks in who are additive to the collective, uh, who come with, frankly, diverse points of view, diverse educational backgrounds, diverse uh, career experience. We look for diversity in age, where you are in your career path, whether you're early, mid, or late stage in your career, size of company, whether it's growth stage company or, or even big, you know, big multinationals. Because we feel like if you can create a fabric of, of diversity and difference, you're going to gain new knowledge from that. Um, so we're very intentional about that too, in, in terms of creating a community with opportunity to learn new things, frankly, from people you don't know. In fact, the last thing I'll say about that really quickly is for all of our members, we ask them to refer to people. One can be somebody they know very well and have um, relationship with, but the second person must necessarily be somebody that they don't know, don't have a relationship with, but admire from afar. So that's where we're going to start to bring in, frankly, um, that diversity of, um, you know, that's inherent in the collective. So that tells you a little bit about the two component parts of um, CMO House. No, that's that's awesome. I really like that last point you're making about like how you're looking for them to refer not just a friend, but actually somebody they don't know, but they would like to. That just reinforces the benefit of the community. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool how that works. Well, we've both been studying the CMO role for many years. What is it about the CMO role that intrigues you the most? Look, I mean, I I think CMOs are some of the most passionate, empathetic, earnest, driven, creative individuals in business. When you get to know, and I know you know this too, Alan, when you get to know CMOs in the main, I think you're taken by all of the things they do, not just in seat and not just in their role, but to better their communities, to better the industry, to better 
you know, next generation talent. I think there's so much about them and they have to be right. Because I mean, they own the voice of the customer. They're really as, as close, they're the executive within the C-suite that's closest to customers. So they need to understand the people, frankly, who comprise their communities and they need to understand the cultural and societal nuance and the the ways people are thinking about things, the, the ways people value things. And that takes such a level of empathy and awareness that I think is unique to the CMO. You know, the other thing I'll say is obviously we all know the role is incredibly complex. It's always been complex. I want to just say one thing, and I know you and I, and I have talked about this, Alan, but I, and, I, and we can talk right now about the forces that are sort of hitting CMOs now, right here in the, in the here and now, but I think it's important too, to think back about all the other times there've been inflection moments in the industry, I mean, there's countless ones. And I think it's helpful to think back and, and always remember those. I mean, for me personally, my little slice of life has, in my career, like I said, goes back to late 90s. But even within that time frame, if you think about it, I've seen, I came in with the rise of the internet, right? And um, the new media platforms um, that were being established, ad-serving networks, interactive agencies, which is what they called them back then, not digital shops, the dot-com boom and bust, 9-11, the rise of the internet economy magazines, the rise of procurement and the 2008 recession with, you know, the bu- massive budget cuts. I mean, and then obviously the rising political and cultural unrest of the late 20 teens. I mean, we've seen so many other dramatic hits, obviously to our world and obviously therefore to business and of course to marketing as well. So CMOs have had to weather a lot of storms. I do think right now is probably one of the most trying, challenging, but also exciting times um, to be a marketer. And we can talk about that, but we've had challenging times before and they've always They've always risen to the occasion. So, well, I agree with you that they are some of the most fun people to hang around with, too. <laughs> I'm sure there are fun CFOs out there, but I don't think you get the same creativity. <laughs> so, CMOs know, know how to enjoy themselves, yes, and and enjoy each other. You know, I mean that that's the beauty of the community for sure. It's definitely uh, an element of humanity that comes through in that group of of folks, and I think it is to your point because they are kind of that voice of the customer. They they have to keep it real. Right? Right? Like, otherwise they'll be seen through in a, a, a nanosecond by their customers. But I do think, like you said, I mean, they have weathered function and the role has weathered so many different places. And I think that has to come from the fact that all of the things that you just listed off are like external macro forces that are impacting the organizations that they serve. And they're at the crossroads of that, right? Like, you know, and monitoring what's going on out in the world. Um, and it really is one of the only executives that do that in the C-suite or should be doing that in the C-suite. Yeah, let's talk about what, what's going on right now. Like we're coming out of a, a pandemic, I hope. <laughs> you know, we keep keep getting more on the, on, the, on the good side of things, so to speak. But there's, you know, a war going on. International markets if are at turmoil. You know, there's more cultural divides than there are bridges today. It's not easy out there. No, it's not. And it takes, it definitely takes a level of fortitude that's, that's, uh, that is not easy to come by. But I think the folks, like I said, who, who are successful do see it as opportunity, right? So, and that's what I do love about CMOs too, is, you know, I think 
because they are creative thinkers and, and, and they truly are innovators. They're going to look for sort of the next way to handle something or to break through, even when things are frankly, incredibly daunting. But yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, obviously global unrest is, is, is massive right now. And, um, if we go back to years, of course, 2020 was turned out to be such an inflection year. What I think is funny. And I'm, I know, you know, this as well is I think in the 10 years leading up to 2020, everybody kept coining that term marketing 2020, 2020 was going to be this like shining beacon on a hill where everything would just suddenly poof, become full digital transformation, true diversity and inclusion within organizations and internal cultures, tech transformation. Well, all of that ended up happening, of course, in 2020, but not for obviously any of the reasons anybody expected. So that's kind of the irony when I think about the year 2020. Everything was upended, right? So consumers, business, marketing, ways of working, everybody became an e-commerce player if you weren't before. Obviously the social and cultural impact and DEI priorities really coming to the fore. But I think that that is though where therein lies the opportunity too. So supercharged digital transformation, CMOs getting involved with new ways of working. According to Gallup, more than half of American workers are working remotely and and plan to continue doing so. Retailers shifts to online. At the same time, budgets down, right? So Gartner recently reported that marketing budgets as a proportion of company revenue are at their lowest point in the history of the survey, down from 11% in 2020 to 6.4% in 2021. So Again, lots of constraints, lots of challenges, but I think, you know, certainly with finally, truly the rise of digital and e-commerce and the new ways that consumers want to interact with brands um, creates awesome opportunity as well. So it's never a dull moment, Alan. So don't get into marketing, you know, if you want sort of a rote, boring job for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. What are you seeing on the personal front? Um, since, you know, you're, you're dealing, you're working with CMOs in the, in the CMO house on a personal note as well. I mean, I can only imagine they're going through the same things. Many of us are going like adjusting to remote work, then maybe adjusting back to some sort of hybrid work. But curious what else uh, might be on their minds. Yeah. And I mean, that whole that whole remote remote thing, I mean, that's a huge that's a huge shift for managing teams and finding new and, and nimble ways of, of getting people to work together um, and still create a cult, in, internal culture. Right. Even as you're sort of accessing and, and uh, referring back to what's happening elsewhere in the world. Look, I think as, as human beings, they're also. Correct. I mean, they're no different than anybody else. And yet I think if you layer on that level of complexity that CMOs have as business leaders, um, it can be extremely challenging. When we, when I joined last summer, when I joined Black Glass last summer to build CMO House, we really did a lot of, I did a real, a listening tour, you know, and I had one-on-one conversations with CMOs and we did surveys and Um, You know, we have a collection of um, 28 founding members who are extraordinary individuals who have been really helping us vet hypotheses and sharing back with us their true and candid perspective on a whole host of things. Because I knew that if we were going to build something new, it needed to obviously land with and meet the needs of the very people we were building it for. And in those conversations, you know, we heard things like COVID proved to me that I'm more than my job. I am struggling with work-life balance. I am struggling with managing my internal and external demands on my time. I'm 
so focused on the inner workings of my organization right now that I'm, that I have no time to think about brand. Right. So, you know, I think this, um, I think it's just accelerated the challenge that they have. I think also, as I said about managing teams, you know, that's never been more vital, but figuring out ways to build cohesiveness and connectivity within your organization, that does necessarily fall on the desks of CMOs too, because they're in so many respects, culture drivers. They work so closely with CHROs and talent piece is so massive for them. I think also on the personal side for CMOs, there is that component of visibility and thought leadership platform and being able to hone. I don't like using the the term personal brand so much because I feel like it, it almost cheapens the concept because it isn't about just, it isn't just assuming a mantle or, you know, putting on a, it goes so much deeper, right? It has to be authentic, but I think it's about the concept of really defining who you are as a person and as a business leader and what you stand for and what your uh, unique skills, aptitudes, and and how you're an asset to an organization. And I think for so long, CMOs have had to kind of fit into whatever context a company or CEO would expect of them as opposed to the other way around. And I think when you get personal clarity on your own narrative and how that can be very powerful for an organization, I think that's a huge unlock that a lot of CMOs now more than ever are focusing on. I think CMOs, the last thing I'll say is CMOs not like anybody else, because we're hearing this, of course, coming out of COVID, is they really want to work in organizations and on things that to them feel purposeful, that feel like it's worth their time, that feel like they're doing more to create good in the world than just sell product or service. So I don't care what age you are, I think everybody wants to feel like there is meaningfulness in the work they're doing. And so that takes them vetting out organizations to go work for on a new level. It does feel like it's even the playing field as as it relates to evaluating the job and role as much as they're evaluating you for it to some degree. I totally agree. There's I don't know how many CMOs I've talked to, but the and how many have had this notion of personal reflection that they're going through. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Various reasons like you've talked about, but I think finding their own voice and authentic voice of who they are and what they want to stand for is is vital to most of the ones that I've talked to. 100%. I mean, and arguably it always has been, but I really feel like it's come into relief 
right? In the last two years. And that, but I think that's such a power. That's such a great thing. I think that bodes so well because then they're going to arguably get into organizations and, and be so much more impactful. And that's the whole point, right? Like not to get too much out there, but if you live your truth, you're going to do work that is additive. That's necessarily going to drive, you know, um, move the needle. I mean, there's no, it, it just stands to reason to me. It's, it's just sort of basics. And, uh, but I love that there's, I think, I love that people are thinking about that pro- priority now more than ever. So it's exciting. No, it is. And it, it's a little bit funny to me that it took a pandemic for us to go through this. <laughs> I guess you, you know, you strip away all of the company atmosphere and you are now boiled down to a face on a screen and you're looking at yourself. And I know everyone's looking at themselves, right? Like, like that's the joke, right? You, there's all these other faces, but everyone's looking at their own face. Uh, you start to, it's like looking in a mirror, you know, nine hours a day. So it's kind of funny. Talk about self-reflection. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, well, let's do, let's do some fun myth busting here. Uh, okay. All and, right. um, I'll give you a topic and you can, you know, elaborate on it a little bit if you want. And then what I'm looking for is like, is this real or is this not real? Is this some, something that people care about or just hype in the, in the environment? Yeah, I'll do real or not real. And then maybe in some instances, I'll, I'll sort of channel what I think is the CMS perspective on it. So yeah, that'd be great. Well, so let's start with the metaverse. Yeah. You know, look, I kind of lump metaverse and web three and NFTs and black and crypto. I, I kind of bl- lump it together. And I think take it seriously. I do think that yes, it is in many respects, you and I, you know, lived through the second life era and, um, what Sims. And I mean, there've been other sort of, but I do think it's a new, it, it is real. It's here to stay. And I think the more, the faster CMOS can kind of get their heads around it, the better. We had Anne Hand um, is the former CMO of BP and she's now CEO of Super League Gaming. And she's really an extraordinary individual. And she um, spoke to our CMO house members um, not too long ago to really just kind of break down metaverse and gaming and explain it, basically be available to them to really answer any and all questions. I think a lot of CMOs are feeling like they haven't quite gotten their heads around it in a way that they feel confident about. And, um, you know, so she was able to kind of get under the hood, if you will, a little bit with it, which was very valuable to them and also try to get them to, to recognize that it it doesn't need to be so daunting. There's a lot of, you and I both know this too, like there's every, every year there's some shiny new object. And I think that's, we're also kind of over and done with that, but I do think there's something about metaverse and, and, um, crypto and the rest of it that that is pretty massive as an opportunity you know blockchain i know there's some cmos have been like deeply focused on the power of blockchain for years and frankly before 2020 uh, taking that very seriously as well. So I would say, and there's a lot about it obviously that i don't know, but from what i'm hearing there is opportunity uh, focus on it, prioritize it, try to get it right because it could unlock some really cool new ways of brand engagement, consumer interaction, and marketing. So, well, and it, it just seems like you know if you've got your experimental funds out there, that this is one of the bets you you should be putting some money, you know, experimental funds against to, to see what happens and learn. Frankly, let's go to covered web three. Let's go to purpose. 
where is purpose today? Yeah, you know, look, I think same thing. I think companies, and I do, I do that map this back probably like 10 years even, this rise of the concept of purpose and and having impact on um, society and culture and brands recognizing how powerful a platform they have has been gaining in importance. I think that again in 2020, it just propelled it even further into being such a priority. I think we all know, and the word authenticity is overused and the word, the word purpose is overused. I think it's almost like sometimes I wish these words would just go away and dissolve into the thing, right? It would, it would just not be something separate that we have to talk about because it's so embedded and so ingrained in everything a company does, everything from supply chain to product development to yes, to brand and messaging and creative. So only more important now, only more necessary for it to be uh, baked in and 100% authentic and for CMOs to really know that, internalize it, own it, get the company to understand it, own it, internalize it. You know, every, every employee, you know, every employee, I don't care. I don't care where they sit in an organization. It's not just marketing, of course. Well, let's take some related concept in my mind, ESG or environmental societal governance issues, if you will. I know it's a hot button in the board level. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because this also, again, 2020, I'm thinking about people who we started to see some people, some executives named to overseeing ESG. And that became, you know, that was a thing prior. Look, I mean, I think there's stats out there around how uh, companies, actually 95% of CMOs believe the brand should take the lead in finding solutions to major societal and cultural issues, right? That's become a vital responsibility. So, and this is against the backdrop, you know, we've had quite a a rough uh, political environment and um, brands are being expected to to show up and drive change not unlike or in many cases even more so than than governments and and there's a big imperative there for sure yeah i mean on the global stage i mean there's no bias from a like capitalist mindset but there's there's really no efficient no other efficient mechanism than business to change the world. It's unfortunate in many cases, but like as soon as politics get involved, which I think is where government thrives, it ta- everything slows down. Everything slows down. And, and sometimes for the better because business moves too fast. But anyway, I've always been an advocate of how do you use business for good? A hundred percent. And I love the conversations, frankly, too, to that point to get at talking about supply chain, because I think that is a space that CMOs need to be having conversation and be, you know, include their voices in because because there's huge implications there. So although right now things are pretty troubled. Um, in that space. So let's talk growth next, since we're talking about priorities of the, of organizations. Oh, look, I mean, it should go without saying that CMOs first and foremost, and fundamentally need to be business growth drivers within organizations. I think what's fascinating about right now is, you know, and there's always been that talk about, well, they come in and they don't have, their hands aren't directly on the levers that drive growth, right? They're only supporting other people, sales organizations, et cetera, who ultimately have the ability to push on those levers. Yes, they are in many ways, chief connection officers, right? So they kind of sit in the middle of all the things And I was having conversation yesterday with somebody who said, it's funny because CMOs need the metrics, they need the data, they need to show ROI. And certainly that's necessary in conversation with, you know, the CFO or the CEO, but it's so because what they do touches what so many other people within organization do, it's easy for the other folks to take credit, if you will, for, for the deliverables and the growth. And I don't think that, I think that remains a challenge But I also think that 
CMOs should think intentionally about how they need to, and again, this is around, you know, coming into a new role, for example, or even shifting responsibility in a current role. Um, they need to be thinking about holistically where they can drive growth and how they can drive growth based on what's part of their mandate. I think it's interesting. Recently, we saw Unilever. Unilever's Connie Brahms move. Her title now is Chief Digital and Commercial Officer. And she's, you know, she's the first one to say, marketing isn't, this doesn't mean marketing's going away. It's just that I'm now taking on sales as well. And it's really just finally an, an acknowledgement of with the accelerated digitization and that came out of the pandemic and entertainment and commerce blurring and marketing and sales coming together, she needed to sort of own as a central hub, um, all those functions. And so, you know, obviously that gets to definition of the CMO role and we continue to always see change in that regard. But I think it's kind of a little combination of, of all the above. It's how much CMOs need to start being proactive around what they should own within organizations to finally ultimately drive growth. And I also think it's continually having the data that, um, demonstrates where they've had impact. That's, that has been important and is only more so now, but that's never been more important. And there's so many ways to demonstrate that. So let's hit creativity next. Yeah. I mean, look, it's um, creativity wins great awards, right? And I think it's the connecting the dots between great creativity and driving business growth. So that's always been, you know, I think that's always been a challenge. I think that there's totally a role to play. I mean, I think, I think every, if you can't just have a dual priority on performance marketing and brand marketing, you're missing one important component for most brands. To me, it feels too like the trade presses out in the world have done a disservice to creativity because it, it tends to show up and be celebrated as the latest campaign or creative execution and not celebrating the creativity itself. To your point, like how is can create, how are we being creative about driving business results? And that can take many different forms and many things that it isn't are the creative executions. Those come later, but the spark of creativity usually comes well before that. Well, I think what you're talking about too, which is a great point is, is literally how we're defining creativity. I mean, I think creativity comes in the way that um, CMOs are building in-house agencies, how they're thinking about talent, you know, how they're, how they're building, accessing, diverse talent pipelines, right? And bringing true diversity of thought, experience, expression into their organizations. I think creativity is in the way that they're um, creating, you know, teams within their organizations and process, you know, around people, around how people work together and, and interact and deliver out value. And yes, it might be a new campaign, but to your point, I think that's only one definition of creativity. I think there are many, and I think CMOs absolutely are innovators in that space and they're redefining what marketing creativity can and should be by a lot of those, frankly, behind the scenes um, concepts that that are transformative ultimately. So I think that is a really great space. If we could see trade press start to reframe that, everybody would benefit. Yeah, agreed. Well, I'll do one more and it's the CMO CEO migration. Yeah. Well, this is a just, you know, as a myth to bust, you know, I think for so long we've heard people say, oh, well, there's so few CEOs, you know, CMOs don't get to be CEOs or it's rare. I have been tracking for fun. I've been tracking, um, you know, the number of CEOs who came up through the, the CMO role 
And I love that the list is long and continues to grow. I do think there is a unique subset of executive that is the CEO who was a former CMO, because I think they bring a unique nuance, understanding, and aptitude to the CEO role that I don't, having come from being a CMO, that I don't think you can get anywhere else. So obviously we've seen folks like Jeff Jones and Brian Nickel and Francis Allen. And I mean, the list goes on. I mean, I think my my latest list probably numbers in the 30s. Seth Kaufman. I mean, there's just some incredible individuals. Uh, and so I would encourage anybody. I actually did a LinkedIn post on it a couple couple months ago, but you can follow me as I continue to track that because I think that's a that's a myth I like I like to bust. And actually, I'm going to be creating sort of a unique cohort, if you will, of of CEOs who had been CMOs because again, I think there's some uniqueness there, and I think those CEOs would benefit from and and enjoy having um, access to the CMO community because those. Those are the very people and the very mindsets and focus that I think those CEOs should stay tapped into because those are the things, that's the magic that got them where they are in large measure. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I haven't met all the folks that you just named off, but I have been able to meet Jeff Jones and uh, Seth Coffin was on the show when he was still a CMO and they are unique individuals and uh, uniquely positioned to be great CMOs. I mean, great CEOs, I should say. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's a great sub community, if you will, of, uh, of executives. So, well, are there any topics you wish that the trade press were actually covering today? <laughs> As the former journalist. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I I think the narrative of CMO, I'll say what I wish they didn't perpetuate. You know, this whole concept of CMO is dead or, you know, the minute a company decides not to have a um, CMO, listen, the function's not going away. We, the... The art and science of marketing is necessary and always will be. And you will need an individual who um, sits atop that business priority. So I think I think some of that I wish they would start to cover in a more nuanced way. I also think that, you know, CMOs are often positioned as almost put in a cast in a defensive light like, you know, almost on a back foot and having to, you know, and struggling and dealing with a narrative that causes them to be at the mercy of, or, you know, CEOs or boards. And a lot of that is true, right? I mean, I think, unfortunately, in some organizations, um, you know, we see that with CMO tenure, right? I think it's averaging about 40 months right now, according to Spencer Stewart, they're in and they're out and they're sort of let go and marketing budgets are cut if, uh, because they, I think, Fundamentally, many companies still see them as expenses rather than investment. But I think that there's so much more to that than that traditional, typical headline. Um, There's so much more deeper there that I wish press would explore. Because again, nothing nothing is completely black and white. I think there's nuance, always in the nuance, right? It's always in the and. And and that's the other thing I'll say is I think the CMO role is characterized um, not by the or, but by the and. And um, that can manifest in, in so many ways. The other thing I'll say is one area that I am very passionate about and focus on a lot is the bridge between marketing practice and marketing education. I think 
now more than ever, we need to, and I, I, I've worked on bridging that gap in a, a number of different ways over the years um, with a network of business schools. And I think that there is huge opportunity for, for practitioners, for frontline people on the front lines doing the work to connect back with academics. There's just so many incredible marketing minds and not just at the business schools, but frankly, at the undergraduate level. And we need to start thinking about making that come to the fore and be covered in the press in the way, because some of the most incredible research is done at the university level that never sees the light of day, right? And never, never lands on CMO's desks. And that's something that bothered me going back about 10 years that I had hoped to, to kind of fix in my, in my small way, but it's just another area of opportunity and, and um, exploration that I think a lot of journalists are probably missing because it can really shape and inform and it can be mutually beneficial, right? If we, if we sort of make that accessible to uh, to both sides. So anyway, those are just a, a couple of things that I'd share. That's good. Well, you know, we've already been on the show before. And so listeners that may be listening, they're going to be waiting for my favorite question that I always ask everyone is what experience defines or makes, you know, of your past defines or makes up who you are today. And I'm just going to tell you, go listen to episode 158 and hear Jenny talk about the impact of words and letter writing and how that actually landed you an interview with Michael Herr, who was a war correspondent that hadn't granted an interview for 10 years before you approached him. <laughs> so I think it's an interesting story. Yeah, I would love I would love for people to go hear that because that is and remains like the pivotal moment of my of my career that I'll never forget. So well, I'm gonna ask you one last question. You lied. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. One one more, uh, just to squeeze out the last little bit of value. Uh so what is there a topic that you think marketers need to learn more about right now or you're trying to learn more about yourself? Oh my goodness, that's a hard one, Alan. I would say that I want to get my head around metaverse. I I need to learn more about that. I really want to get my head around blockchain. We actually uh, we we have a CMO who is incredibly well versed in that, and who's going to break that down for our membership soon um, in CMO House. And I'm excited for that because I just I do think that that is um, an area that that I just personally want to learn more about, um, especially so that I, in conversation with CMOs, I can be helpful in that regard. But yeah, there's so much. Like I said, never dull moment, which is the exciting thing about this topic and um, these people. Thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I'm a rebounder, I guess. Is is that the way to say <laughs> yeah, it? <laughs> I, I guess that's right. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's nice to talk to you as always. You too. Kudos to you, Alan, for doing it. And I uh, love your podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. 
And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 